Our fall sermon series is not going to start until the 9th of September, so we have three uh, more weeks. But what we're going to do in the fall, I'll give you a quick heads up, and I think we're also going to have a little video on the website that tells you a little bit about that in a couple of weeks. We're going to be looking at questions that people ask Jesus. And the reason we're going to do that is because when you ask a question, or if you're in a conversation where someone asks a question, not just, you know, did the Cardinals win last night, although that also tells you something about a person, questions reveal something about our hearts and about our motives and about our priorities in life. And so we're going to be looking at the questions that people ask Jesus. We'll deal some with the answers he gave, but more importantly, uh, our understanding of Scripture and the world in which we live is that there's a, there's a, a very close connection. The same types of questions, or I should say the same motives behind the questions, are being asked today. So if if we're going to be disciple makers, if we're going to go out and share the gospel with others, we need to understand the questions that are being asked in our generation and how Scripture answers those. So that's what we'll be looking at in the fall. So what about the next three weeks? What are we going to be doing between now and the 9th of September? Well, I was thinking about it. I was praying about it. I, you know, it's, it's tough to do. Even a small book of the Bible, I thought maybe we could take uh, Jude or Philemon. Those are both really short books, and maybe I could, I could knock out a, uh, a book in three weeks. You know, it took me a while to knock out Romans. But uh, where I ended up was, you know what, I think what I'll do is just take three passages of Scripture that I really like a lot, that I really love. And I want to talk about those three passages of Scripture, not because they necessarily tie in anything in particular, although today's, I think, does really complement what we've been doing in the fall but mostly just because there are three passages that have really spoken to me over the course of my life. Uh, this one in particular, since I was, I was a young uh, person, the others more recently, but I thought I would just be able to share with you guys a little bit about how those passages of Scripture have impacted me. So this morning, we're going to look at Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20, and you can turn there, and if you have a Bible or in a minute, the passage will be on the screen. But before we get to that, the reason I love this passage is because it reveals opportunities, as well as the challenges of sharing the grace of Jesus with everyone. Let me say that one more time. This particular passage reveals the opportunities and the challenges of sharing the grace of Jesus with everyone. We're going to see a Uh, an encounter that Jesus has with a person that if you and I saw him walking down the street, we would cross over and and walk on the other side of the sidewalk. And yet Jesus sees something in that person that is very redemptive. And therefore, we need to see that as well as disciples of Jesus. Let me remind you, uh, you probably don't need this reminder, but some may, that one of our core values is to grow disciples. And we, in our mission statement, our vision statement, we say we want to grow disciples, renew communities, and plant churches. Well, if we're going to grow disciples, not we, the pastors of Green Tree, not we, the elders of Green Tree, not we, the staff of Green Tree, if we, the spiritual family of Green Tree, those of us who identify ourselves as faithful, committed disciples of Jesus, if we're going to reproduce if we're going to, to share our faith with others so that they could come to Christ and then help them grow in their faith, two things have to be true in our lives. The first is that we're growing in our own faith, that we're making it a priority to study the Word of God and apply it to our lives, that we're making as a priority making conversations, whether it's in a small group Bible study setting, whether it's with a spouse or a friend, where we are sharpening one another. 
where we're studying the Word of God together, where we're praying for one another, where we're talking about the issues of our life, whether they're marriage issues or work issues or employment issues, under the context of Scripture so that we are growing in our faith. We cannot help others come to Christ if we are not growing. But then secondly, that as we grow in our faith, we are actively making new disciples, that we are intentionally living and sharing our faith in Jesus with others. If that's the case then we need to see how Jesus engaged with his culture in order to understand how we can apply that intentional living, that intentional sharing to our circumstances and to our day and age. So that's where we're going to head this morning. Uh, Mark chapter 5 this is a pretty long passage, just 20 verses, uh, but it's, it is one compact story about one experience in the life of Jesus. So with that in mind, hear the word of God. <clears throat> Mark writes the following, inspired by the Holy Spirit. They came to the other side of the sea, that being Jesus and his 12, uh, his 12 buddies that we call the 12 disciples. Uh, they were in a boat. They come to the other side of the sea to the country of the Gerasons. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him a man out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He actually lived among the tombs. No one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles, and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles to pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he, would, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. We've, a lot of people in our day and age are talking about, especially young people, cutting themselves, and we think that's something new. There's something that's been going on for, for thousands of years. When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and he fell down before him and crying out with a loud voice, he said, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, or I swear to you by God, do not torment me. For Jesus had been saying to him, come out of this man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And Legion begged him earnestly not to send them out of that country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on a hillside. And they begged him, saying, Send us into the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and were drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and the people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there clothed and in his right mind. They were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with the demons begged him that he might be with him. He did not permit him, but he said to him, Go home to your friends and tell how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and he began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him at everyone marveled. This is the reading of God's holy and perfect word. To him alone be glory. Will you pray with me? Father, we uh, gather together this morning many different backgrounds, many different circumstances and situations in our lives. Father, some of us come with great joy. Others of us come with uh, anxiety. Father, some of us come uh, thinking we have all the answers, and some of us come not even knowing what questions to ask. Father, some of us are filled with great fear over our future. Others of us are very regretful over what has happened in the past, maybe even as recently as last night or on the way to church this morning. 
Father, I don't know everyone in this room. I don't think that I could say I know half the people in this room really well. I can't speak into people's lives, Lord. I can't give people a pathway. I can't help people discern right from wrong and what is best for them. Father, only you have the words of eternal life. Only you speak complete and unmitigated truth in every circumstance and in every situation. And you do so because you love us. You don't pull punches. You don't tell us we're okay when we're not. You don't tell us we look fine when we're really a mess. But it's not because you want to beat us down. It's because you want us to be redeemed. You want us to be saved. You sent your son for that very purpose. So, Father, as we study this passage this morning, there is much we need to know, but only you know exactly what that is. And so I pray that you would not let me or my sin stand in the way of what you want us to understand this morning. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would come and that you would be our teacher, that you would make disciples out of this congregation that would reproduce other disciples. We pray in your name. Amen. Probably going to state the obvious in this passage this morning. There, there isn't necessarily going to be a whole lot of a surprise here. In fact, some of it probably, as I state it, you'll say, well, yeah, that's, that's clear just with a, with a passing glance of the passage. But I, I think the things that, that maybe are obvious to us are oftentimes that we take for granted or things that we uh, don't come back and really pay attention to as much as particularly that we should. And so this morning, I'm, I'm going to make four observations about this text. Uh, three of which I think are obvious, and the fourth of which I think is the most important, uh, maybe something that, 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 is, uh, that, that might slip by us. The first one I want to mention that is obvious is the malicious heart of Satan. If you look at what happens to this man and the experience that he has, and the reason he has the experience is because he is possessed by demons. Now, you might be here this morning saying, I don't believe in the spiritual. I don't believe there actually are such things as demons. All I can tell you is that, that God who gives us complete and total truth says that there are, and I'm, and I'm going to trust him to be accurate in that. I've also lived life long enough and seen a lot, uh, enough experiences, even before uh, people started making all these paranormal movies, uh, to know that the spiritual world is as real as the physical. And then this man's problem is that somewhere along the line, he turned to the dark side of the spiritual world, just kind of like Star Wars, you know, Luke, come over to the dark side and experience the power, you know, the enticing uh, message of, of Darth Vader, the, 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 the Satan image in, in uh, the Star Wars trilogy. And there was a point where he decided to go down that road. We don't know why. We don't know what caused him to, to make those decisions. But we know that when Jesus meets him, that, that what he is living is under the thumb of the, of the malicious anger, hatred, malice of Satan. Look at how he's described. There was met by Jesus a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs. He lived in the, in the graveyard. He took shelter among the dead. He was always crying out. He was always cutting himself with stones. This was a man who was under the complete domination and control of a being that absolutely hated him. Satan does not possess people because he wants to show them a good time. Satan doesn't come into people's lives and whisper lies into their ears because he, he wants them to experience all the joys of life. Satan comes to kill and steal and destroy. And this man's a perfect example of what Satan's intentions are and what he would do with every person if he possibly could get his hands on them. It, when, when they begin to engage in this conversation with Jesus, they're begging Jesus, at least let us destroy something. 
at least, at least let us have our fun somewhere. If we can't have this guy, well, at least let us destroy this herd of pigs. The maliciousness and the, and the anger and the hatred is just seething through them. And so when, the, when they're cast out of this man and they, they go to the pigs, what's the first thing they do? They, they destroy this herd of pigs. Now, we're going to come back in a minute why a nice Jewish community would be raising pigs, but that's a question for, for another moment. It's a fair question to ask. I'm not, I'm not trying to, to be silly. It, it really is a fair question about what the, the motives of their hearts were. But, but the motive of Satan's heart cannot be disputed. He wants to kill and steal and destroy is how Jesus says it in John 10. If you go to Revelation chapter 12, uh, excuse me, Revelation chapter 13, Satan is painted as the dragon who's been cornered and he knows his time is short. And so the author of, of the book of Revelation says, woe to the world because he's come down and he's now among you. And he's going to try and take as many people with him as he possibly can. I don't know if you ever saw the movie Tombstone, but there's a scene towards the end of Tombstone where Wyatt Earp and Doc Holliday are discussing the evil villain of the movie, who's a, who's a, a guy named Johnny Ringo. He's the arch villain in the movie. And, and uh, Wyatt Earp turns to Doc Holliday and he says, Doc, what makes a man like Ringo? What makes him do the things he does? Holliday responds, a man, a, a man like Ringo has got a great big hole right in the middle of him. He can never kill enough or steal enough, or inflict enough pain to ever fill it. White says, why? What, what does he need? Doc says he needs revenge. And White says, for what? Doc Holliday responds, for being born. That's the person of Satan. His every fiber wants to thwart the kingdom of God. And this passage shows us very clearly the intentions of his heart. And the fact that anybody who's going to be involved in discipleship is going to have to enter into spiritual warfare. That may be stating the obvious. Let me state another obvious point of this, and that is the shallowness of the heart of humanity. If you look at the herdsmen, if you look at the townspeople, uh, how did they deal with this issue? How did they deal with this person? Well, much like we would deal with those who become violent in our, uh, in our society, we, we want to lock them up. We want to protect people from those folks doing great harm. Now, I think there's a place for that. I think if someone's going to harm someone else, the, the leaders of a community have a responsibility to keep the greater community safe. I'm not saying open all the prisons and let everybody Everybody out, but notice that that the reaction is not one that says, "Is there any way to redeem this man? Is there any way to help him? Is there anything we can do to get him on the right path?" No, he was often bound with shackles and with chains. The way we're going to deal with this problem of, of, of Satan is we're going to try to lock it away as best we can. The second thing that we that we find out about these townsfolks is that they are raising pigs, and that was against the rules. <laughs> They, in their, in their culture and in their theology, did not allow for them to consume pork. And so it tells you something about the motives of their hearts, that you get the idea that this is a group of people, not to say that they're, they're not religious on some level, they, they probably are, but they're also a practical people that say, you know, there is a business here to be, to be done. There's, there's a dollar here to be made. Let's, you know, if, as long as we sell the pigs to Gentiles, that you know, will be okay. Now, I'm making that part up. Scripture doesn't say it. But there was a pragmatic side that said, you know what, our community be, would be better off financially with the herd than without the herd. Then we, we find when the, when the herd is destroyed, when the demons enter into the pigs and they run down the steep bank and they, and they jump into the ocean and they, they try to swim, uh, and they find out they can't, the herdsmen run away. 
but they don't go very far. They tell everybody. They're not running away to hide. They're running to inform. Okay, so get out your phone, send a text, send a tweet, what just happened. Same idea, except they didn't have any of that technology, so they had their, their two feet, and it's like, okay, you go over there, I'll go to there, you go to town, I'll go to the farms, and tell everybody we've got a disaster on our hands. And the news spreads like wildfire, so that the people immediately came out to see what had happened. Mark tells us what happened. It says when they got there, they saw Jesus, they saw the demon-possessed man, sitting there, dressed, and in his right mind. The biggest problem their community faced had been dealt with. They were no longer going to be able to say, have to say to the kids, don't walk out there by the graveside. They were no longer going to have to say to the little ones, make sure you're in before dark. They were no longer going to have to post a guard or send 10 or 20 or 30 men to try one more time to subdue this guy. That problem had been erased From their perspective, and what happened? They began to beg with Jesus to depart from their region. Why? Because they just lost a big portion of their income, and they were much more concerned about that than they were about the well-being of the demon-possessed man. Humanity, compassion, only goes so far. Your compassion and my compassion, your kindness and my kindness, outside of the influence of the Spirit of God and the Word of God, will only go so far. If you, if, if you look at this passage, you should not be surprised. And I'm not trying to throw rocks at these people and say, these are terrible folks. If we had been there, if only Green Tree Community Church had been there, this would have never happened. I'm not sure what the equivalent is to pigs, but, but chances are we'd be doing it. <laughs> I would be doing it. You would probably be doing it. We ought not paint ourselves as wonderful folks as opposed to these terrible people back then that should have known better. It it should be no surprise. There's a natural reaction here that that fears for our safety, that protects our own interests, that is is rampant throughout every culture and every generation. You think of of our own country and the history of our own country. Why did slavery remain so long in the United States of America? Why was there a civil war fought over that topic? Now, I know you guys that are history majors are going to come and tell me there are other topics. I get that. I understand it. But, But why was that such an issue? Because the entire southern economy was built on the backs of the slaves. And you can't just throw that out the window. We'll all go bankrupt. You read the writings of many slave owners, many prominent slave owners like Thomas Jefferson, They were against slavery in principle until it impacted their pocketbook. And then they said, well, maybe we ought to stop and think about this. Human care and protection only goes so far. When when our kids were younger and and, and they were running around the house and and you would hear Cindy say, Tom, and she kind of had that edge on it, right? Okay. And then Tom said yes, and he found out that one of the kids had had done something. Tom was extraordinarily relieved. (laughs) I was like, hey, it's your problem, brother, not mine. You're on your own. Go, <laughs> go see mom. And, and if she says, you know, you're, I'll, I'll hold you while she hits you. You know, we didn't really do that, okay? So, I mean, we spanked our kids, but we Anyway, that, we're going to have to edit that out of the sermon tape. <laughs> you get a little rusty when you've been away five weeks. You know, self-preservation. Boy, I'm glad she's not mad at me. The, the shallowness of the human heart should be no surprise to us in this passage. Nor should my third observation, the unrelenting heart of Jesus, be at all shocked. Here he meets a madman who is beyond all hope. He is beyond all human cure. He is out of his mind. He is out of control. He is torturing everyone, including himself. Think of the self-loathing this man experienced as he cut himself. 
He lived among the tombs. He also mentions no one could bind him anymore. You've seen this. Night and day, he was crying out and cutting himself with stones. Go to the next slide, if you would. And how does Jesus respond to this, this crazy guy? <laughs> he says, hey, what's your name? What, what a bizarre... You could, you could read the story up to there, and if I didn't know what had happened, you say, what did Jesus... I would have, you could have given me 100 guesses. I'd have never gotten there. Really? <laughs> What's your name? This guy comes running down the hill. He hasn't bathed in who knows how long. He looks awful. He smells awful. He's got fire in his eyes. He's running at you. When he gets to you, he falls down. He's pulling the grass out. He's writhing. He's rolling around the ground. He's screaming, and you say, hey, what's your name? (laughs) Seems like an odd response, except Jesus is always interested in the person. He's looking beyond the problem, and he's looking at a soul. And one of the most dignifying things you can ask a person, tell me about yourself. What's your name? What does that mean? It means you count to me. It means you're important to me. I want to know something about you. Perhaps you and I could be friends. Jesus isn't talking to spirits. He knows what he's going to do with them. He's helping us and he's helping anybody around who's listening understand his unrelenting heart and passion for those who need him. So the pigs say, we don't want to leave. And Jesus says, too bad. You're going. And they say, well, how about the pigs? And Jesus says, fine, go right ahead. Notice it says he gave them permission. Notice who's in control. Not only is Jesus' heart unrelenting as far as his passion for the lost, but he knows he is king of kings and lord of lords. And he uses his authority in the exact polar opposite of Satan. He is not here to kill and steal and destroy. He is here to give life and to give it abundantly. And the people come out, and they see the, the, the man who had been crazy sitting there dressed, and it is right mind. Jesus is the healer. Jesus is the one who restores. Jesus is the one who brings life where there is only death and destruction. This should be of no surprise to us. It's the most natural thing in the world for the Son of God to do. There are no limits on his compassion. There is no one who is beyond his grace and his salvation. Jesus has laser focus, and if you, if you want to know the focus of Jesus, it's twofold. The first is always the will of his Father. Jesus is always in perfect unity with his Father. He is always there in fellowship with his Father, and he will always honor his Father. And the second thing is your soul and mine. Jesus loves lost sinners. He doesn't look at you and go, oh, wow, you, you haven't had a bath in six months. I, I can't talk to you. <laughs> oh, you can't come to our church. You, you don't dress the right way. You, 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 you don't, you're not a member of the right political party. You don't make enough money. You whatever, fill in the blank any, any way you want to. Jesus is not about the church. Jesus is about the kingdom. A church is a means to an end, but Jesus is about the kingdom. Jesus used the word, the word church twice in the gospels and the word kingdom over a hundred times. The church is meant to make the kingdom grow. And here's Jesus growing the kingdom of God. And it's the most natural thing for him to do. So those are probably the three obvious things, that, that Satan is malicious and he's out to get you. The townspeople are, you know, they're nice folks, but, but they're a little sideways here. And that Jesus is compassionate and merciful. That, that, that's the obvious part. I just have one question. Where on earth are the disciples? Now, I understand that Jesus is the hero of the story. I understand that the story is not about the disciples, but it says they went over to the other side, they being Jesus and all of the disciples, but then it switches to the singular. When Jesus got out of the boat, immediately there met him. 
I, I think I know where the disciples are. I, I think as they're getting out and this whole thing begins to unfold, and, they're like, and it's not like they didn't know this guy was here. It's a small, they know where the, this guy is. They've, they've been around this area before. They see him coming down the hill, and all of a sudden Peter goes, you know, we've got to mend these nets. We have let these things go. We've got to spend, you know, and John's like, oh, my sandal got untied, you know, and, and, and Judas like, I've got to count the money. I, somebody's, somebody's dipping into the money. And all of a sudden everybody's like doing something over here, and, you know, it's like you say to somebody who's about to take a risk, you go, I'm behind you all the way. <laughs> That's where I'm going to stay, behind you. Well, you, you go, I, I, I got your back, right? <laughs> Just keep facing that direction, right? The disciples are nowhere to be seen. And there's Jesus promoting the kingdom of God, having mercy on someone who, quite frankly, probably doesn't deserve mercy. And he's battling the forces of evil. And he's standing up to man's indifference. And he's building the kingdom of God and he's making a new disciple. Boy, that sounds a lot like our core values. <laughs> sounds like what you and I say that we're to be about every day. Now, I'll give them credit. Eventually, they got out of the boat, okay? <laughs> out of the 12, 11 of them went on to change the world. They were the, they were the pillars of the early church, with the exception of the Apostle Paul, who came along later. But, but 11 of these men, out of the 11 men, one of them died of old age in exile because of his faith, and the other 10 church tradition tells us they were all martyred for, for saying, we will never turn our back on Jesus. He is our Lord and Savior. We, we, won't, we won't refuse to acknowledge that. So they finally got there. But it seems like they missed a great chance. They have a lot of fun in an amazing situation. And, and again, I don't want to throw rocks at these guys. I want to suggest that today... I think a lot of us are sitting in the boat. I think there are a lot of days when I don't get out of the boat. I see what Jesus is doing. I see where he wants to go and what he wants to do in Kirkwood and Glendale and DePere and beyond and to the four corners of the world. And, and quite frankly, it feels a little safer for me to stay in the boat. Let me give you a, a quote out of an article I've been reading recently that a friend sent me by a guy named Steve Smith. He's talking about the church in general. He says, it's easy for churches to subtly shift their focus from the king and his kingdom often becoming obsessed with themselves and their own success, structures, and traditions. How easy is it for us to elevate the church along with our structures, programs, and traditions above the vision of knowing the king and establishing his kingdom? We easily lose sight of the end vision. When we focus on church first, we get kingdom wrong. Now, again, I want to be careful here this morning because I think in many ways Green Tree is is doing a wonderful job at impacting our, our community and our, and our culture. I think we are representing Christ in many ways very well in our community. But I think we've got to face the facts that the church in general, which includes Green Tree, is stilted in its growth, is stilted in people who don't know Christ coming to know Christ. And there's only one reason for that. It's not because the heart of God has changed. The same compassion that drove Jesus drives him today. The question is, will we get out of the boat? Will we be willing to risk? Will we be willing to say, I'm going to take the time and the energy and the effort to grow my own faith to the end that I can then share it with others so that I can grow new disciples? Am I going to be complacent and self-centered or will I rather turn my gaze and, and look at my Lord and his passion and his desire to see the lost come into his kingdom and say, I'm committed to him and therefore I'm committed to his kingdom? People, friends don't necessarily come to church anymore to check out spiritual questions. People say today there's as spiritual as they've ever been, maybe even more, but a lot of folks are saying, I can figure that out on my own. 
we kind of pass a day where, you know, if you build it, they will come, so to speak. Just because we're here on Sunday mornings doesn't mean that we're going to have a flood of folks coming and saying, now tell me about Jesus. That conversation more in our day and age is going to happen when we walk across the street and hang out with a neighbor or spend some time getting to know somebody in our office. I, I've got a friend who I've been trying to get to come to Green Tree for a long time, and, and, he, and he told me earlier, some of you know, I drive by on Sunday mornings and I see the sign. He goes, I'm getting closer. <laughs> and, I'm like, and I'm like, well, if, if you never show up, how are you going to know that God loves you? How are you going to hear this? And he looked at me like I had three heads. I am not kidding you. And he said this, well, that's what I have you for. There's a little bit of shame for Tom. Chance to repent. Say, Lord, my picture is so much smaller than yours. So when I share this passage with you guys this morning, I'm sharing it with me. Saying the time for complacency, the time for self-centeredness is is not today. It is not in in our generation. The time to risk, the time to, to, to say, Lord, show us how we can make and grow new disciples is for today. And with that in mind, everything that we're gonna do this school year as a church body, is going to be centered around that idea. I mentioned the sermon series already, that we're going to be looking this fall at questions that people ask Jesus in the spring. We're going to be looking at how Paul engaged on his missionary journeys with a wide variety of peoples and cultures in order to see how we, uh, we don't ever change the message, but we make sure that we are, we are seeking to be all things to all people. But I also want you to know that, that as a spiritual family, a lot of the things that we'll be doing officially uh, this fall over the coming months, we have several events. All of this is being planned with the intention of giving all of us the opportunity or the platform by which to engage the folks around us for the kingdom of God. 